So, we are going to talk now uh, a continuation, really, of what uh, the theme that we were looking at over the weekend away. We just can't quite move on from it yet. It just seems like this is something that God is on. His presence is on this, uh, doing what disciples do. And I want to talk about authority. Um, Doing what disciples do, well, it's the mission of the church to change the world. Just a small task. By preaching the gospel, healing the sick, and setting people free. Now, Jesus gave us authority to do this. He gave us the right to do it. We're not just making these big assumptions. This is something that Jesus actually gave us to do. Uh, So it was this commission for mission, which there's going to be a load of those today. This commission for for mission, and it started a long way back. So we need to know with confidence, say the word confidence, Jubilee. We need to know confidence. We need to know with confidence the authority that we've been given to do what he's told us to do. Okay? Because we're called to make a difference. We're called to be influencers rather than influenced. We're called to change the flavor of things with salt. We're called to be light, the kind of light that obliterates darkness. We're called to be victors, not victims, to bring solutions, not problems, to take his kingdom everywhere with us. Amen. Amen. So I'm hoping you're going to get excited today. I'm very excited. Um, But, you know, this all started with this great shift in the balance of power that took place when Jesus first commissioned his disciples. You know, in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, it says that when Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons, cure diseases, and send them out to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. The same thing is in Matthew chapter 10, almost identical verses. But what does this authority look like, and how do you know when you've got it? I'm going to deal with power next time, perhaps, in a bit more detail. But first, we need to know the authority that we have. Knowing our authority. You see, I don't think, I don't think many of us have any idea what it means to have authority. We don't understand what it means to have been given it, let alone how to use it. But if you ask Jesus' disciples at this point in the story, what does it mean for you to have authority? They would have known because they'd seen Jesus' authority played out right before their eyes. The Gospels are full of times when Jesus demonstrated his authority. So I reckon that when Luke says Jesus gave them authority, they would have thought, ah, yes, that's what it means to have authority. Remember this, the authority that was recognized by the centurion. Jesus Jesus healed the centurion. the man in the centurion's house, and, and the centurion says, I also am a man under authority. I recognize the authority that you move by, Jesus. And Jesus demonstrated his authority over sickness, even from a distance. What about when Jesus calmed the storm? The disciples were there. It says he stood up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. And the men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. That's his authority over creation. When was the last time you rebuked the weather? <laughs> Yesterday. 
Then these two demon-possessed men, nobody could do anything with them. As soon as Jesus walks in, they fall down and say, Jesus, what have you come to do with us? And they're instantly healed, delivered, set free. And Jesus demonstrates his authority over the demonic realm. The authority over sin and the healing of a paralytic man. Jesus said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. But Jesus demonstrated his authority not just over sickness, but also over sin. Raising the dead girl. Authority over death, and so on. Jesus continually demonstrated his authority to his disciples to show them and to show us what authority looked like so they knew exactly what it meant and what they were authorized to do. And for this limited time in their lives, they did what Jesus did. And they did it like he did it. Heal the sick, tell demons to go, preach good news to all. He gave them his authority. They were deputized by him. And But this was so significant. This moment of sending, commissioning was so significant. It represented the beginning of a shift in the balance of power. It was the beginning of a restoration of authority, a redemptive act that signified the beginning of a reversal. It was a restoring of all that had been lost in the garden, which Jesus came to restore on the cross. And we need to understand this moment of significance because this is where our authority comes from too. So Jesus came to restore the authority that had been given to man at creation. You remember in the beginning when God created man, it was in his image completely. He he was a perfect reflection of him in every way. And it says that God blessed them and commanded them to multiply, giving them full authority to rule over the earth and every living thing. To rule, to rule like God over creation. That's back in Genesis. So, for example, when it comes to the naming and the categorizing of the animals, God tells Adam as the founder of the human race to do it. See, when you have the power to name something, it shows what kind of authority you have. God was saying, what do you want to do here? It's up to you, Adam. What do you want to call him? It's your domain. God originally gave human beings this incredible privilege. They were effectively the gods of this world. We were created to be in authority. Do you know that? not downtrodden, not the victims of creation, brought on by drought and famine and earthquakes and so on. We were told to subdue it, to make the earth work for us, to tend it so that it produced food to eat. God never intended for us to be killed by snakes, bitten by crocodiles and stung by jellyfish. I sometimes wonder if that's what Jesus had in mind when he declared about believers in Mark 16 that they'll pick up snakes with their hands. They will drink deadly poison and it won't hurt them at all. God never intended for these things to hurt us. The created world was designed to be ruled over and nurtured by humans. Now, I could go down a sidetrack here about the environment, but seriously, I'm thinking about this at the moment. What does this mean for us? That we would have authority over everything that was made, including Satan. But you see, authority was stolen at the fall. And in the beginning, you see, Satan had no authority to rule at all. You know that, don't you? 
He was an angel. He was a servant of God. And, and I don't know what he was doing in the garden at that time, except that God allowed it. Perhaps he was not always there to do harm, but he was there for good. One writer suggests that as we don't know the precise time of Satan's fall, maybe he had originally been put there in the garden with Adam and Eve to minister to them, to look after them. But when he saw the favor of God on man and the authority that had been given, he started to get jealous. And so he schemed for a way to steal man's authority and position. It's an interesting idea. The scheme was simple. Get the humans to believe what he said instead of what God said. And he seemed to have developed a relationship with them. He'd built some trust. So if I could just use Adam's faith against him to disobey God, to believe the lie, then not only would Satan break up the relationship, at the same time their authority to rule would belong to Satan. I mean, just an aside, I mean, that's how it works now, you know. That's how it works. If he can get you to believe a lie, if he can get you to side with him against God, he steals your authority because Satan still has no authority, only what you give him. Some people needed to know that today because there's freedom from the son, for the sons of God. Did you know that? Freedom from demonic oppression. He only has the authority that you give him now. But from the moment that Adam disobeyed God, Satan stole his authority from him. And Adam was no longer the prince of the world. John shows us that Satan was. Until Jesus came to throw him out, that usurper, that thief, authority was restored through Jesus. Jesus, the ruler of heaven, was sent to restore order on earth. He came in power exercising supreme royal authority. And you know, the devil knew what was going on and he tried the same trick that he played on Adam with Jesus. We see this in the temptations of Christ. Satan tried to get Jesus to bow the knee to give him, to get him back in authority. Satan says, if you'll bow the knee to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. But Jesus was refused, and he, although he was tempted in every way as we are, he didn't sin. Instead, Jesus begins to take back what was stolen to return man's authority to him, along with his created position and power to rule. To rule. You're called to rule. To be in authority. This restored authority is shown first to his disciples. They get the first taster. Having shown, Jesus having shown his authority to them over the whole of Satan's kingdom, which consists of sickness and death and oppression. You know the kind of stuff, the bondage that we see all around us. Jesus sends them out to disrupt it all. He releases them temporarily at this time to go in authority followed shortly by 72 other random people to go and take back all that was stolen by the kingdom of darkness. Do you see? But this was just a temporary dispensation that would be completed on the cross and finalized in the resurrection. The restoration of all things is now begun. 
And so Jesus was able to call his disciples back to him before the ascension and give them a permanent deputization, a permanent authorization. And he says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go on the basis of this authority and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This permanent commission has now been given to us until the end of time to go and take back with demonstrations of power. And it and it's to be taken back in all nations for all time, even to the end of the age when Jesus finally returns to take his place and fully restore his kingdom on earth. But the restoration of all things has already begun. What was lost in the fall was regained at the cross and given before the ascension. Authority to extend the rule and reign of Christ on earth and to restore mankind to his rightful place. Amen? The problem is that we don't realize the authority that we've been given, let alone how to use it. So what does it mean to have authority? I want to explain that to you. It's not the same thing as having power. It's not the same thing as having power. You see, power is very visible and demonstrable. The demon leaves, the blind man sees. Authority rests in the hidden person which leads to the release of power. See, both authority and power are needed for miracles to happen, but you cannot have one without the other. You know, I I remember my early days, it wasn't very long ago, (laughs) I would try to exercise power. That would be my focus. I'd try to exercise power, and I'd remember trying to bring healing. Oh, be healed! Come on, you've tried it too. It doesn't work. You try it, you focus on the exercise of power. If only I can, uh, I'm laying hands on you. Oh, you're going to be healed right now. I can feel it. Surprise, surprise, it doesn't work. Or I would look for signs of my own powerfulness. You know, you go to these big conferences and this man of God would go down the line and one after the other people would fall over. You know, have you seen that? So I'd go behind and say, why? Why doesn't it happen when I do it? (laughs) I'd look for signs of my own powerfulness instead of cultivating my own hidden sense of authority in Christ. Authority. Kingdom authority is what releases power, not the other way around. And if you know your authority, you can exercise power without any real effort at all. I mean, think about the policeman who steps out in the road to stop a speeding vehicle. In that moment that he steps out, is he exercising power or authority? Well, if it's power, he better be Superman because he will need to exert a greater force than the speeding vehicle to stop it. I don't see that working very well, do you? But no, the vehicle stops because of the officer's authority, 
which is backed up by the power of the law of the land. And that power that underwrites his authority is what means the driver is punished if he refuses to obey. So the policeman's power or his ability to act comes from the authority that he's been given by another more powerful than himself. Do you understand? And so having authority is about resting in the knowledge of who we are and being confident of who we represent, and that is what unlocks the power. We speak and we act in the name of the one who is greater than us. The name of Jesus, which gives all the authority that we need to release the power and ability for him to do more than we could ever ask or think or even imagine. It's the power of God working through us because of who we are. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, living in us at our disposal as we exercise authority as the sons of God. So, for instance, when we rebuke a demon, we don't need any more power to do that because Jesus has already defeated Satan, winning authority over him and his realm by rising from the dead. So we just need to stand in our authority and and the demons have to obey. They have to. My voice has gone like a a teenage boy. I'm getting younger as I speak. So, for example, I was um, speaking at a church somewhere else, and as, as I'm halfway through speaking, a demonized man runs to the front, starts shouting and screaming, very loud, very confrontational, making a right show. So I, I turned to the pastor, I said, could you just get the band back on? I'll, I'll come back to speaking later. We just start worshipping Jesus. So come on, let's just get our eyes on Jesus. Let's just focus on him. And then when the whole church isn't looking, I and the pastor just go up behind this guy, and the music is really loud at this time. And I just stand behind the man, and I speak very quietly. He can't hear me. I'm not speaking to the man. I'm speaking to the demonic power. And I just stand, and I said, in the authority of the name of Jesus, you leave that man. And the man fell on the floor, crumpled in a heap, repenting, saying, God, forgive me. I Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And the man is healed and restored right in front of our eyes. But it was no shouting. There was no demonstrations. There was no noise other than the noise the devil thought he needed to make to show how powerful he was. You stand in your authority and demons have to go. In Jesus' name. Or when we pray for the sick, you see, we don't need to try and work ourselves up or manufacture power. We just speak healing in his name. We take our position in his authority because I don't have any power or ability of my own to heal people. I can't do it. Any power that's released is in the power of his name so that what is impossible becomes possible because he's able to do this. You know, some of the greatest miracles I've ever seen have happened with the least amount of effort on my part. I still need to learn this. (laughs) Because sometimes when you come across somebody who's 
dangerously ill. You feel overwhelmed. And you feel, I've got to come up with something. I've got to do something to make this happen. But some of the greatest miracles I've seen is when I've had no idea what I'm doing. And I feel at my weakest. It's it's just a touch and they're healed or, or a word or a look of compassion, especially compassion. The greatest revelation of our compassion, of our authority, is actually in our compassion. Compassion is what leads to action more than any other aspect of our ministry. Jesus, he says, he looked on the crowds. He saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. He says that his heart was moved with compassion. He fed the 5,000 out of that one. The greatest miracle with the least of effort. Authority is about adopting a posture of quiet confidence in who he has made us to be in Christ. That's a really good line, Rob. I'm going to repeat that. Authority is about adopting a posture of quiet confidence in who he's made us to be in Christ. There's no strain. There's no stress. There's no proving of ourselves. It's resting in who we know he's made us to be. And that the power that is at our disposal, which we have seen in Jesus, flows through us. Take a moment just to think about this. Shut your eyes. Don't even look at me. And I know that's hard for you, but just look inside for a minute. Say, oh, my goodness. I've got authority. I've got authority in Christ because of who you have called me, who you've made me to be. Say it to yourself. I have authority. Rest in it. You don't have to work it up. It's there. If you're a child of God, if you're a son of God today, it's daughter of God, you have authority already. So understanding our identity as the royal sons and daughters of the king. Is foundational to knowing our authority. And it's only that we begin to understand our, our position, our authority in Christ, that we are truly able to exercise the power that will set people free, bring healing, restoration, and salvation. This is our position for mission in our authority. In our authority. Do you understand anything of the privilege of that? Oh, close your eyes again and think about that. I, I am a prince of God, ruling with him, princess. Wow, just let it sink in. I believe the spirit of revelation is just going to come on several people right now. You're not a victim, you know. You're a victor. You're not condemned. You're accepted. You're loved. You're honored. I have authority to go and make a difference. Wow. It's in your identity. Lift your head up a bit. 
sit up a bit, you know? I've got authority. I'm not downtrodden. Because of who I am, I'm forgiven. I'm not burdened anymore. <laughs> wow. I just declare freedom in this place right now to lift your head up and stand a bit taller on Monday. Amen? We have authority. So how do we exercise it? We've talked about how important it is to know the authority we've been given, where it's come from, how it's been given to us through our position in Christ. How do we exercise authority? What does this mean for us? Four things quite quickly. Here's number one. Firstly, we need to recognize that the exercise of spiritual power grows as we grow. It grows with us. It's this astonishing line that I could never understand, and I'm going to have to ask Jesus when I get to heaven, in Luke 2:52, where it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in the favor of God, favor with God and man. He grew his authority as he grew. If Jesus needed to do this, how much more do we? He grew in authority, in favor with God and man. Spiritual authority is given because of our position in Christ, but the extent of the authority that we can actually exercise is directly proportionate to the relationship we have cultivated with the one who has authorized us to act in his name. Did you get that? We've been given authority because of our position, but the extent that we can exercise it is directly proportionate to the relationship we've cultivated with the one who's authorized us. Greater authority comes with maturity of relationship with the Father. The fact is that many Christians fail to progress from being spiritual infants to adopted sons and daughters. You see, the Father is in the doctrine of sonship. The Father adopts us, and in this adoption, we automatically inherit the rights of firstborn sons. That means the right to rule, to exercise authority, kingdom authority. But because of immaturity, the fact is that some people never learn to inhabit the realm of authority that he's given them. Never learn it. Jesus said, I can only do what I see the Father doing. Well, this ability comes from an intimate knowledge of the Father and what he's like, and so to represent him perfectly, exercising kingdom authority. You see, authority grows as you grow, but it can also stay within the limit of a previous revelation or experience of God. So do you know him better than you did this time last year? Are you closer to him? Do you know him better now as your father or don't you? Because if you don't, you haven't grown. And if you've grown, you've also grown in authority because of relationship. A realm of authority can also shrink. I've known of those who've moved in power in in years past but have lost something because of sin or disappointment, or unforgiveness, or bitterness. 
I mean, even people that haven't done anything really bad, they'll say, when I was first a Christian, all this stuff used to happen. Why doesn't it happen anymore? Because you haven't grown. You've stopped stepping out. You've stopped taking risks. You've started getting too afraid of what men and women think of you. Anybody? You know what I'm talking about. You don't have to acknowledge it. But they, some people, they lose their authority and, the, and they never gain it back. And they end up disappointed, grumpy old people. <laughs> so have you grown this year? Have you taken steps of faith that mean that you have to be more intimate with him? You do know that, don't you? One of the ways to grow is to do some stuff that's going to stretch you. Step up, step out, do stuff. Because perhaps some of us need to exercise in order to grow. Second point, spiritual authority grows as we go. It's as we step out, as we stand out, it's as we exercise our faith that authority grows. You see, a measure of authority is given to every believer, but it's exercised in faith. And if you never look to exercise your faith, but you always depend upon others, if you never take any risks in God, but you always play it safe, you will never grow in your authority. Never. We all need those moments in God where we say, unless you turn up, it's not going to happen. That job opportunity, that house move, that conversation, that confrontation, God, unless you come into that moment, it's not going to happen. I'm stepping out, right? I'm going to walk on the water for a minute. (laughs) Those moments when you say, enough, (laughs) and you're thrown onto God because there isn't any other way. Those are the greatest growth moments. I'm convinced that sometimes God takes us through hard times to grow us because we just want to be comfortable all the time otherwise and we never grow we need those moments where our faith is about against the wall our back is against the wall yeah our faith is against the wall (laughs) we also need those moments when we will say I, I, i rewrote this line several times i thought this sounds a bit too audacious but i know what i mean We need those moments when we say, it will happen because I say so. (laughs) Do you know those moments? It's going to happen because I say so. That quiet confidence is not an arrogance. There's a quiet confidence that he will do what he says he will do because of what he said and because of who I am to him. He's not going to let me down. I've stepped out and he's going to catch me. It's not arrogance. It's because he's spoken to me. It's experience. It's experience of his continual faithfulness of knowing that he's got me. Amen? I know what he's like. It's going to happen because I say it's going to happen. And he's my backer. Amen? Oh, you're feeling the authority. (laughs) Woo! You know, when you exercise spiritual authority and faith, things will obey you as you exercise your God-given rights. It means that mountains will move as you speak to them. Are there any mountains that need moving? 
roads will come up beneath your feet. The valley will level out. That's what Jesus tells us as we speak. This confidence causes both angels and demons to move. The first in response to our prayers, rushing to do his bidding. The second to get out of our way. Mountains will move. Paths will come up because of who you are to him. You grow as you go. Thirdly, spiritual authority often operates through the spoken word. Sometimes, you know, things don't move, things don't change, especially in the demonic realm, simply because everything stays shut up in our heads. (laughs) But, you know, Satan can't hear your thoughts. He can only guess, and he doesn't need to act on his guesses, only on your words. Okay? You need to speak. I just felt like some of you today, you needed to find your voice again. You need to speak. Stop staying locked up because you're being English and polite or whatever else it might be. You need to speak. You need to speak. It's about finding your voice again. Command him to leave you. Command him to stop touching that which belongs to you and those that are with you. Tell him to vacate your airspace, leave your home, leave your workplace, leave your vicinity wherever I go in the name of Jesus. It's time to speak. Some of you have got to speak. Why have you got so quiet, so meek? Or you think it's meekness, it's downtroddenness. It's time to speak. It's only when you speak, when you exercise authority, that he has to leave. So when did you last pray around your house? When did you last pray over your bank statement? Every day, somebody said. (laughs) When did you last pray in your workplace and take authority over whatever's going on there? Get to work early. You'll shock the boss, but you're there to pray. I was speaking to a friend of mine recently, and he said he'd been going in every day, and miracles were starting to happen in his classroom. He's a teacher. And he'd been going in for about six weeks when he got a call from the headmaster saying, I need to see you. What's been going on? What have you been doing? You've been coming in at six o'clock every morning, marching up and down the corridors. And my friend said, how on earth did you know that? You're on the CCTV. (laughs) But lo and behold, behavior started to change in that school. It went from a failing school to a succeeding school to an outstanding school. And then God led him somewhere else. (laughs) Teachers, there's something for you in this. It's about authority. It's time to open your mouth and to speak and to declare. Doctors, nurses, wherever you're working, there's authority for you to exercise in Jesus' name. Fourthly, spiritual authority arrives with you. Um, Some of you need to practice this. You know, when I was first stepping into leadership, I would literally do this. I would put on authority like a coat and walk around as if I owned the place. 
My favourite places were Sainsbury's and Marks and Spencer's to practice. (laughs) And I'd wait as I walked up and down these corridors with a sense of authority. I'd wait to see how long it would take for somebody to say, where are the beans? (laughs) And then I knew I'd begun to walk in my authority. I know it sounds really silly. And there's no sense of arrogance in this. Because, you know, the authority of Christ is not in shouting or boasting or throwing your weight around like any of this year's apprentice stars. It's about a quiet confidence and assurance where you know who you are and you're conscious of who you represent. Do you know who's here today in your shop? I am a child of God. Do you know who's walking down this street today? Do you know who's in this car? Now, some of you have got to watch your behavior in this car. Do you know who's in this car? Do you know who you're driving today? On this train, on this plane. There's no sense of arrogance. There's a sense of quiet confidence. I know who I am and I know who I've been called to be. Step in to your authority. When you do this, when you grow in this, when you learn how to carry authority with you wherever you go, atmospheres will change. They will respond to you because you are there. I had a situation a few years ago um, in the church where there was somebody in the church who was a compulsive liar, okay? They were telling stories everywhere, and we never knew quite which one was true, but most of them weren't. And they were becoming grander and grander. It was becoming a problem. And I thought, how am I going to deal with this? You know, these are the things that keep leaders awake at night. How am I going to deal with this? And the Lord said to me, stand. Just exercise authority. Great, Lord. How do I do that? Anyway, so I invited this guy around to see me. And as he walked into my house, he spoke to me and then he couldn't speak. I thought, that's a bit strange. So I, I made him a drink. He came and sat down. I said, so, um, yeah, I wanted to talk to you today. So how things are going? Blah, 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 blah. He couldn't speak. And he tried again. Blah, 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 blah. Couldn't speak. And I said to him, hold on a minute. You can't lie in my presence, can you? You can only say what is true. And I hadn't even told him about the lying. He literally couldn't lie in the presence of the authority of Christ, who is truth. (laughs) And it all came out. And and he he, he repented, he cried, he said, I'm so sorry, I I can't stop doing this. I just long for acceptance and approval. I didn't even have to say anything to him. Atmospheres shift because of the authority of Christ that is in you when you walk into a place or when somebody walks into your place. Amen? Some of you need to practice that. Just practice that consciousness of his presence and stand in your authority. Because that's what disciples do. They go in the authority of Christ, consciously wearing the mantle of his presence, knowing that he will go wherever you go. Amen? So I want us to finish with a bit of practice. 
One of the ways that I've been learning how to exercise authority, and I'm sorry if you've seen me do this before, say, I've said this before, I'm still doing this, is learning how to make declarations of authority about my own life and about what's happening in my world. And this is, I've just found really helpful. I apologize if the words are really small for you. The first thing I want you to do is to stand up. We often get people to stand. It's a, it's a moment of authority just to stand. And the first thing I want you to do is just to shut your eyes again and say, I stand in the authority of Christ that he's given me. Just say that to yourself. Just speak to yourself. I stand in the authority of Christ that he's given me. Some of you need to lift your heads up right now. Say it again. I stand in the authority of Christ that he has given me. Amen. Now, as you have that feeling, some of you can just literally feel, I can feel the authority, just a, a quiet confidence entering my heart. Now, as you say that, I want you to just read these words. And if you can't see them, please do come forward. This is how you get people to come forward, you see. You do really small words. There's bigger words on this screen here, but why don't you just come forward if you can't read those words, and we're going to read them all together, just like they do in the Church of England, so it's okay. All right? And we're just going to read these words out together. Okay? Nobody's moved, so you've all got amazing eyesight. That's great. Here we go. You ready? Just going to pray for you, and then we're going to read. Get ready. Father, I just pray for the revelation of who we are in Christ to land on the church today. For each and every member here today, for each and every person that's come even visiting, that they would have a sense of the authority that they have in Christ. Lord, not because we want to go kicking our, throwing our weight around, but Lord, because we want to move in power. And Father, authority uh, is what leads to power. We want to see the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. We want to see these things change. We want to see our communities change, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, because we're there, Lord, because we're the salt and we're the light. So, Lord, show us how to stand in our authority. Show us how to lean into the anointing that you've given us to be who you've called us to be. So, Lord, as we make these declarations, I pray, Lord, that you'd make a difference in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Right, you ready? Here we go. We're going to, after three, one, two, three. I set the course of my life with my words. I declare that I cannot be defeated, discouraged, depressed, or disappointed. I am the head, not the tail. I have insight, I have wisdom, I have ideas and divine strategies, I have authority. As I speak God's promises, they come to pass. They stop all attacks, assaults, oppression and fear from my life. God is on my side today and therefore I cannot be defeated. I have the wisdom of God today. I will think the right thoughts, say the right words, and make the right decisions in every situation I face. I expect to have powerful to run into the right people and to be delivered from the wrong people. 
I expect the best day of my life, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and financially in Jesus' name.